gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then, well then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine and, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's, it's a podcast. podcast. Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room, episode 78 for Friday, July 17th, 2015. It's still, and is always going to be, the year of our Time Lord, Dr. Emmett Brown. We have two movies to review. It, usually we try to kind of do one as a mini, but we have two movies that are just too interesting not to talk about in full. We're going to do uh, Trainwreck, and then we're going to do Ant-Man, which I don't know what they really have in common other than a release date and uh, that I would like to see Amy Ooh, Schumer what, and Paul Rudd in a What do they have in maybe. common? Maybe we'll find out in our reviews. And, uh, Unlike date- 90%. Oh, sorry. I was going to say something bad oh. in common, but just... Oh. Wait, well, now uh, I want to know. Don't leave me hang. It was yes, it was a stupid it was a stupid joke and how about, time I, how about making men feel mouth. making men feel small? <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um sure. you guys you can fill out half of your bingo card. Dave has seen one of the movies. Hey. That counts. That's a full date. That's a full bingo card. Yeah. That's right. Um, yeah. I don't I don't know what your personal reward is for completing fighting in the war room bingo, but it's give like it you to won, yourself. It's like you won the EGOT but with a daytime Emmy award. This has been and all you, my uh, life. then you leave us an iTunes review. This is going to be a good episode for Bingo because it's, it's a superhero movie and uh, all mm-hmm. that. So, um, oh, yeah. But I'm well, also interested to hear about Trainwreck because you guys get to sell me on it. Yeah, so first we're talking about the movie Dave hasn't seen, which is Trainwreck, which, God, I mean, I don't know if this is happening in other cities, but I think on my way to work today I saw three Trainwreck ads on the street. Like, it is everywhere. I feel and like a real Trainwreck. Viral. Yeah, it, was, it was really, really tragic. Um, yeah, I feel like this movie has been advertised like crazy. But in case you don't know, it's uh, directed by Judd Apatow. It's written in, by and stars Amy Schumer, whose inside Amy Schumer has been kind of really taking off as a viral hit this spring or in summer. But this movie was obviously made last summer. She's very much an up-and-coming comedian. You can and go on timeout.com and watch the 10 best of her sketches as selected I've, by yours truly. I've heard such a thing. <laughs> Might, might exist out there. Mm, the self-promotion. It starts so early. So she's someone who's famous from a sketch show and from stand-up comedy, but is taking on a, like, in some ways surprisingly dramatic role, even at the center of this comedy, where she plays the titular train wreck, a woman who doesn't believe in monogamy and sleeps around and drinks too much and has to ride home on the Staten Island Ferry in her dress from the night before and, you know, all the things you've seen in of people behaving badly. And then she meets this uh, nice doctor played by Bill Hader, who's friends with LeBron James, um, which... Uh, surprisingly something that I might buy in real life and uh, then has to decide if she's going to uh, clean up her act. I think there's been a lot of really interesting discussion in the last couple of days. I read it at least in Stephanie Zaharik's review about how this is in some ways a progressive movie about a woman who enjoys sex and she's, you know, there's a lot of parts in the beginning of the movie where she's sleeping around and, you know, makes John Cena cry and all these things. Um, but it, it works toward a very traditional ending, which is that she should be with this man, this nice guy who wants to be with her and not spoil the ending, but you know, I think you know how the ending is going to be. And that's something that a lot of Judd Apatow movies are. And, you know, his m- movies that are about his own home life, basically, are about how being married to someone and having kids with them is the greatest thing you can do. So I'm curious. I thought Trainwreck was very funny, but the more I hear critiques like that, the more I kind of start wondering about its value as a movie as a whole. And David, I think I should start with you because I feel like you were the person coming out of the movie who asked all these questions right away and wasn't even bowled over by the humor and kind of 
was not into it from the very start. Yeah, this is the most crushingly disappointing film I've seen all year. And uh, I say that as someone who enjoyed it, more or less. Uh, <laughs> I had Maybe my expectations were too high. I uh, was, you know, This is 40 is a terrible film, but I am still very much on board with the comedy stylings of Judd Apatow. I like his brand of humor. I like the tone of the performances that he coaxes out of people and their relaxed pacing. I happen to think Funny People is a wonderful, wonderful movie, um, and 40-Year-Old Virgin even more so. Uh, and Amy Schumer, I think her show is hilarious. So I, I thought that this was going to be a really interesting collision of comedic talents, of people who are at the top of their game, or you know, one person who's at the top of the game and the other who uh, might recognize the talents in somebody else in order to help them get back there. Uh, and man, I think this is... It's not John Apatow's worst film, but it is his least funny. I, I laughed less in this than I did... Than in uh, this is forty. But you and did laugh as someone who sat I, I next to you. Laugh. You were laughing consistently throughout the movie, well, so the I movie was is, surprised to hear that you thought it was so not. It's fun. Six and a half hours long. Of course, there are going to be <laughs> nine or ten good laughs in there. Um, it's uh, yeah, I, I think and that that really was the beginning of my trouble with it because uh, if the movie were genuinely hilarious, it's much easier to overlook a lot of its problems and and not even see them as problems because it may have uh, you know you have a successful comedy. It's a different set of criteria. Uh, it did feel very regressive, and I expected something else from Amy Schumer. I don't put that entirely on her feet because um, she was not out there saying that she was reinventing the rom-com. Uh, I think those were expectations that I brought to the table. Uh, and I, I don't know. I mean, I'd be curious to talk about what my problem is because I have, uh, between this and uh, The Diary of a Teenage Girl, which is coming out in August, two films that, to varying degrees, have been uh, championed for the progressive female sexuality, I have found to be very trite and uh, familiar. And, and uh, what am I watching? Maybe am, I, am, I, am I thinking of uh, world cinema? Am I uh, just imagining uh, a cinema where women are being depicted in a... Better not to diminish how poor well, it's been in American cinema, but it's interesting that you bring up world cinema because that probably does skew your opinion here a little bit. You know, we walked out of this movie, um, and we were we were talking about actually you and I have talked about this movie so many times that I'm worried that <laughs> we won't actually get to our true opinions here. because uh, we, we were talking to, about if it's talked to me. So. That's true, that's true. We were talking about if it subverts anything, and people have been talking about how wow, it's really subverting these cliches and it doesn't really do that. And this is part of the reason I like that. It, it's it's a very familiar rom com. But its big play is switching the roles of the expectations of the, the male character falls on Amy Schumer. And Bill Hader is more of this kind of softer woman that she has to win over because she has the problems or something. Um, and yeah. in, a, in American film, that's a huge deal. We don't see it. It doesn't happen. And a woman, a woman doesn't get to play this role ever. Uh, and in it's foreign cinema, perhaps, we, I mean, you, it takes greater leaps. And what you see in, around the world, David, um, challenges and gets really nitty gritty about very specific sexual arcs. And uh, I mean, we have seen many, many more daring films you know, than Trainwreck. But as, as in the shell of an American rom-com, I thought this was both thrilling and really funny and, and subversive casually so the world cinema thing is one thing that i wanted to uh that i remembered walking out of the theater was that 
uh, this struck me as an English language Amelie. It's essentially the same character following the same arc. She's just a little bit more uh, promiscuous. The character types are not, yeah. And, right, the character types are wildly different, but the story uh, and the particular issues that are holding them back are almost identical. Um, unfortunately, Amy Schumer, if there's a good actress in her, uh, she has not learned how to tap into it yet. I think she gives an abysmal performance. I totally in this movie. disagree. Wow. Uh, and I, I love her in her sketch show. I just, I never for a moment believed her. And in any of the more sincere moments, I think, particularly in the scenes uh, that she acts with Brie Larson, who plays her sister, and you can see the disparity in, in what they're bringing to the table. Although I will say that the moments I believed her best uh, were in the scenes she shares with her father, uh, who is played by Colin Quinn. Amy Schumer's father in real life has. Uh, suffers from MS. The character that Colin Quinn plays in the movie suffers from MS. And while uh, maybe I'd, ha- I'd have the same praise if I didn't know that, um, nevertheless, I can't help but think that she brought her firsthand experience with caring for somebody in that situation, putting up with the obstacles and challenges. Uh, it- it's very palpable to me. It's very real on screen. I think Colin Quinn, and this is not something I ever expected to say, gives one of the it gives far and away the best performance in the film, um, the most complete the most uh, nuanced, uh, really understands the physicality of being an infirmed old man, which I've seen plenty of firsthand. And it's, it's really amazing down to the, uh, the nuances, whether you got that from so his own life or Amy Schumer. I, I liked Amy a lot more than you did in this movie. I mean, I agree that Colin Quinn doing the MS, uh, you know, that whole thing and, and being this kind of overbearing but progressive-minded guy who doesn't think, uh, you know, uh, Amy has to get with a guy or she can just uh, sleep around. That's totally okay. And he's a drug addict. And I, I mean, I love that relationship. But I really, the only part of Amy's performance that didn't really work for me is when she's in this more like cliche uh, movie world. When she, so she works at this men's magazine and she doesn't really know anything about sports. And I'm not exactly sure why she works at a men's magazine, but she does to kind question. of get her into a lot of different situations that is the most contrived part of the movie and that really doesn't work for me everything else like well, when you she's kind of magazine so you you're here <laughs> that's true and i have wondered now if garlic does make your semen taste different this is a question raised in the film. i'm gonna have to do a little research um the the moments outside and when she's talking to brie larson talking to her sister and just kind of like talking about family and talking about their struggles i i really thought that was quite vivid and natural, and the two of them have real chemistry. This is probably the best thing I've ever seen Brie Larson in. Uh, what? Yeah, I just, uh, much better You're than Short Term 12. better than 21 Jump Street? Much better than 21 Jump Street. Oh, oh my God, oh, so much get, better. Get but, off. So the two of them have these really natural, tender conversations, and then when she's having the romantic stuff with Bill Hader, I, I'm not the biggest Bill Hader fan in terms of this movie, at least, but I thought their stuff was really natural as well. Whenever she's conversing with people... Um, or, or riffing and making jokes. I just, I fell in love with her. I really loved it. But when it gets into like kind of a movie mode, I, I, I steered away. I didn't like Amy as much as that stuff. I think that was my biggest problem with, and, and, and I like Trainwreck and I laughed a lot and I came out of it really positive on it while also immediately saying it's a Judd Apatow movie. Every scene goes on about four beats too long and the movie's half an hour too long overall. Um, but I think the problems where I ran into it is like, it's like we were saying, it's a really traditional rom-com. She didn't say she was going to set out to change it. It is kind of just a role reversal. But it really dove away from the beats that you're waiting for. Like it really kind of seemed to take its time and meander. And 
take weird detours. Like there's a but that's why it's really, great and feels really natural. Like it I feels like a real relationship. The, but I think you gotta do one or the other. I think you do. You have that naturalism through the whole thing, or you go through the rom com beats. Like I think the Forty Year Old Virgin is a movie that goes through really specific rom com beats and works really, really well for it. Knocked up the same way, and it's not. It's not trying to shoehorn those two things together. And but why, I think that's a lot of the discomfort in it. You would think that rom com tropes can come can spring naturally out of a real relationship trying to capture those beats. And so you can have both. Like we can have a kind of grand finale where someone professes their love, but we can still have bits about arguments and misunderstanding. I mean, one of my favorite parts of the movie is when they get in this big argument over nothing, totally realistic. And um, Bill Hader falls asleep during the argument. I'm just like, that is so me. Um, (laughs) There's a lot of little nuances like that. There's a lot of little observations that... um, that just feels no. so real. Yeah, I agree with you, Patches. I... Well, I, I should say I agree with you that the bigger moments work less well. Uh, there's the, the big inevitable fight scene that sort of splits them apart for a period of time, uh, I think is one of the most poorly handled scenes in the movie and is not, um, it, you know. But there are Amy so Schumer, many little movies or moments. Let's stress that. There are a lot of really strong little moments. I think uh, Judd Apatow is a history of doing this well. Uh, but I... I think that um, Amy Schumer, her, the whole narrative about her career is that she's been an atypical rom-com star, that she is uh, not attractive enough, let's say, or not um, likable enough. And I, I thought that, you know, as someone who wouldn't necessarily think to bring that baggage to this movie, um, I, I thought that her character really did not, like, I, and likability is almost never an issue for me in a movie unless it's in this rom-com vein where you have to give a shit about whether or not you want the character together. You have to together. want the one nice character to get together with the train wreck. Right. And I just, I was like, Bill Hader, man, not do better, but just... Actually, that's what the person you brought to that movie, else. you brought someone to this movie and her exact response when we came out was, why would she ever be with them? Or why would he ever be with her? That actually kind of shocked me. And yeah, you you saying something similar here. Like, these two people are yin and yang. They're different and they need that. You know, I think there's going to be a lot of thick pieces about, you know, why, why do we have to tell this girl that she's drinking too much or why do we have to tell her that she's having we too don't. much sex? And I don't think this movie suggests that she does either of those two things. She could be she could have a, a, a prosperous, wonderful life fucking tons of guys and drinking herself into a blackout every night. Um, but she finds someone who she that changes her path. It doesn't correct her. So you didn't think the film was moralizing in any way? No, I really didn't. I really didn't. I just felt like it shifted her gears. It didn't save her life. Um, and I think there's only one moment where he uh, Judd Apatow plays the wrong note, or perhaps the script does, and it's bits with Ezra Miller, who plays her intern, which I mm-hmm. don't really like, which feels like her making mistakes, and that's the only part that feels wrong. Like, we we do make mistakes. You do sleep with someone and then wake up the next morning like, I don't need to do this. And you feel that weight on you. And it's not societal pressure. It's just like the monotony of, of sleeping around. And that also felt very realistic. And at no point did I think that this movie was like, God, find a man already, Amy Schumer. Um, she just found someone that she was really clicking with. And there's a great scene with her and Vanessa Bayer where she's like, I slept over someone's house. And she's like, "Were you? Did you? Were you drunk? No, I was completely sober. You know, are you are you pregnant? Or are you, like, are you on antibiotics? Uh, that was just. It's so funny and true that you're rattled when you meet someone who gets you out of this, gets you out of your ways. And it's not a corrective. It's just real love. 
And that felt true. I think I'm trying to figure out where there's something about her relationship with him and the way that she dives into it that didn't gel for me. Even though I think Bill Hader's a goddamn dreamboat and he's really good at this. And I really liked the two of them. He's the weak link. Oh, (laughs) no, no. Bill Hader, always great. Yeah, team Hader. Actually, you know what the weak link is? All the sports stars. What is with Judd Apatow and putting, Wait, like, LeBron famous James people? No, LeBron no, no, no. LeBron is really good. LeBron is Amari really funny. Amari Stoudemire is a nightmare. <laughs> uh, I, I'm not I, – I don't watch basketball, but uh, I can't imagine as bad as the Knicks are that he was worse on the court than he is in this movie. It is god but awful. Le- and also, LeBron is really Madison charming Square and really Garden funny. is a sacred, sacred place. <laughs> That Judd Apatow, as I say, this is a you know obsessive Rangers fan. Judd Apatow has no claim over, and the disgrace that he brings to that building at the end of this movie oh, cannot shut stand. Up. Shut up! Wow. But no, LeBron, LeBron is very funny and really surprising, and I think he's. I, I'm trying to put together a piece about him like becoming an actor, or at least Hollywood utilizing him more, because I think he is really. He can riff, man. He can uh, he yeah, can he joke, really and he can be own. charming, and he can be kind of he's just a happy guy in this movie, and he he really works out well. But I do wish that Bill Hader's character wasn't a physical therapist for NBA players just to have this parade of famous people in the movie. There's absolutely no reason for it, I don't yeah. think, and it's a little annoying. I'm sorry, I, mean, I cut you off. Yeah, Katie. and then oh. uh, no, well, go on, okay, Katie. yeah. So I think I think for me, I don't I I didn't think she was enough of a train wreck in the beginning. And then her turnaround didn't seem to happen in any logical pattern. And I think I maybe, as much as I like seeing the two of them together, and I think she had the right to be as much of a fuck up as she wanted, I don't know what she brought to his life that made me want them to be together. He's so boring. That's why. Yeah, but he doesn't seem to mind being boring. He does at his core. Mind being a train wreck. He does mind being boring because his last relationship was like four years ago, and he only has his job to think about, and he doesn't like it. And he but he doesn't like, want to tell himself that, but it's true. Did you feel like you got enough of a sense of personality out of him to know? All no, of that's that, his that's problem. Just... That's his problem that he's trying to break out of his boring life because he never meets people, and this person is thrust into his world, and he must change because he has a, like a chemical reaction from meeting this person. He's a new man just upon meeting her. I don't know. I don't feel like I saw that in the connection that they were building. I saw why they had fun together and why they wanted to stick together but when things started going south it did i mean it did kind of feel like oh well they've hit this logical problem where they don't belong together i mean they do a good job with the tilda swinton character i think it's oh i wanted more of her far without talking to tilda swinton i wanted setting so up much what more amy, of her you see she is kind of what amy the train wreck could become like she could be this hard drinking doesn't care woman who you know has no regard for the feelings of others and she clearly steers herself away from that and i feel like that's kind of the most effective character beat you get through the whole thing because otherwise it does it feels like they're kind of on the tracks of this rom-com plot that they have to go through without like except for the family stuff really putting the feeling into it i mean but he but bill Hader is there for all those beats you know there's this whole thing about moving her dad into a new home and the sister not wanting to do that and the sister is pregnant and far along with her life we feel these pressures if there's any like moral wrist slapping that people feel in this movie, I think it's because the sister just has her life together, which is true to life too. Like people are far more, you know, not advanced, but they have a different type of life and you feel that pressure. And 
Uh, and, and Bill Hader is there for the whole time. Like he goes and visits the dad and bonds with the dad and you get to see him with Colin yeah, Quinn. Yeah, he's an incredibly likable character. Like I think all he adds a lot of value into those scenes, but I don't know that it does anything to convince me more that he wants to be with her, just that he's a solid guy. Well, I just think he sees the world outside of his office and his uh, surgery theater. Um, but what did you feel like he accomplishes something or learns something by the end of it, other than just wanting to be with her? Like, do you really? Do you yeah, I think he. I think he learns why he should be with her and why he doesn't. Then, I mean, why that's, doesn't he tell us? What? Why? Why doesn't he tell us? <laughs> yeah, I would have loved to love to know. Uh, Here's my explanation for being. This in love movie with should have been funnier. That's really the movie the is problem. hysterical. The movie it's, is it's really fucking to funny. For like, to, to like horrible bosses too. It's the funniest fucking thing that's ever happened on Earth. But uh, it's it's not nearly. It's not even as funny as like Magic Mike XXL, which was not Jesus. necessarily it was a comedy. Get off that um, movie's dick, literally. Uh, <laughs> never. <Yep>. Uh, <laughs> I have. I have. I guess I have. I have three. Simple questions as a way of closing, if everybody. Yeah. As a way of closing, yes. Yeah. <clears throat> so, so, K- Katie. Yeah. Do you, do you feel like uh, you were you were saved in your marriage from becoming a train wreck? Oh, as in like by getting married, I was rescued from being a train wreck. Yes. No, I I do not have that personality. Not to judge the people yeah. who do. But that that's is a, that's not Katie Rich. This no. is not about. Yeah, are you Katie kidding? Rich, no. I get blackout drunk when I'm over this married couple's house, not that's beforehand. That's true. Yeah, no, my my marriage has made me more of a train wreck. Anything, <laughs> but we're a train wreck together, and it's very it's very valuable. That's sweet, David. Yeah. Is whatever happens at the end of this movie in Madison Square Garden worse than Godzilla laying all of its eggs inside of it? <laughs> okay, that's a complicated question because <laughs> unlike Godzilla, they show enough respect to use the actual Madison Square Garden. Um, and yeah, no, it's it's not nearly as bad. Madison Square Garden is not destroyed by uh, radioactive dinosaur eggs. It's just and also like put a little hockey in there. I understand it's LeBron James, but he has a <laughs> oh, giant wow. framed Henrik Lundqvist jersey in his office, and they actually reference it, but not the player himself. And that's the last year of the Rangers—a disgrace again. What if Lundqvist was offered a role and turned it down? Uh, uh, unlikely. And finally, Patches, how much of your own semen are you going to eat before you've proven your hypothesis? <laughs> I don't feel like I need to eat the semen to know, right? Can we make that the next quarter fall? Can I ask doctors? Yeah, exactly. We'll all taste gross things. Oh, we're, we're, we're not talking about all the funny things here as we wrap right, up. Let's it, talk about your... John Cena, who's really funny. It's just like, <laughs> is he closeted or is he just a huge bro? Like, who knows what's going on with that? But that was cracking me up the whole time. Uh, can I, I want to shout out the cameo from a uh, New York cabaret performer, Bridget Everett, who is in the, uh, wow. I think it's a baby shower scene when they go to the suburbs. Oh yeah. Um, and she is the larger woman who has uh, the best secret to reveal when they play. I've never, it's uh, you'll know it when you see it. She's that, really funny and please so look up her work. Things. She's incredible. Yeah. Uh, there's just so many bits of fun. Like I love Dave Attell as the homeless person outside. Oh, he, he is funny. Yeah. Uh, I miss Dave Attell person. so much. I miss his comedy central show. I miss his stand-up specials. I don't know where he's been. He hasn't really done too much, but I miss him. Insomniac. Bring it back, David Tell. Um, Ezra Miller. Eh, mm. Take him or leave him. <laughs> <laughs> I love Ezra Miller. Ezra I love Miller him. Is, his his role doesn't best. make any sense in the movie. It, it does not make any sense. This is the best Ezra Miller film that is opening this weekend. Uh, What's by the other shot. one? Oh, is Stanford Prison Experiment opening? The, oh. the miserable Stanford Prison Experiment. <laughs> oh, I forgot about that. Wow. Mike Birbiglia um, is in this movie. He's funny. 
I will say I think that Ezra Miller and Mike Birbiglia, I, I agree that they're funny, but they're both victims of the Apatow style of shooting a movie where you shoot four times as much as you need and then characters get thrown all over the place and they wind up losing the arcs or their sense of purpose in the movie. I think Birbiglia suffers less from that, but that did kind of bug me by the end of this. I think this movie wanted to be tighter than what Apatow oh, was willing to do. With I think style. Birbiglia gets a lot of good moments and so does the kid who plays their, their kid, um, yeah. Birbiglia <laughs> and Brie Larson, which couple made in heaven... Right. Yeah. I'd um, watch. I'd watch this. Uh, this is forty style spinoff about them. Amy Schumer's Amy Schumer's reactions to that kid every time he enters a room is the funniest thing. I think the kid yeah. goes up to Brie Larson's pregnant belly at some point and be like, "Can I listen?" And Amy Schumer's face is pure gold. It's the perfect. kid is good. The kid yeah. is amazing. I saw Terminator Genesis. How dare you? <laughs> uh, I didn't see Terminator Genesis, so I'm not going to say if Ant-Man is better than Terminator Genesis. But, man, guys, Ant-Man is a strange one. I mean, the, the basics going into it of knowing that it was Edgar Wright's movie until he left the project, yada, yada. Uh, and then it being Paul Rudd as a superhero. And then it being a Marvel movie that isn't super wrapped up in all the Ultron world building stuff. Uh, kind of is. Uh, in the end. It is less. Okay. If you just come up with Avengers Age of Ultron, you're like, oh my God, I don't want to see cities destroyed anymore. I don't want to have to count 80 superheroes. Like this is very different. Yes. As David put it, there are no movies. infinity stones. in. Oh this. my God. Yeah. That no. really, they should have just opened with that. No, they really, <laughs> I think that's like Warning. a 20 million opening weekend. No, like, thank God. No infinity stones. No Thanos. The spoilers say Thanos is not in this movie because I'm really happy that there's literally no one in this movie has ever even heard of Thanos. (laughs) All the ants have. You just don't know. Um, I'm going to go on the record and saying that I think Paul Rudd as a superhero is a, you know, perfect idea. Like I thought it was a great idea the minute he got cast. And I don't know that Ant-Man really gives us what I, what you want from Paul Rudd as a superhero, but I want to hear from Dave. Because I don't, Dave. You saw it earlier this week. Yeah, time. should we no should we set this movie up in just a little bit uh, of a? Of a, a I could, with an I could do that. Okay, yeah, you know Dave's gonna do, do that. No Infinity Stones, and there's ants. Paul Rudd plays a former criminal who is trying to see his daughter, but his daughter's wife or his daughter's uh, uh, mother, played by Judy Greer, Judy wants Greer, him to get his life together. Abused actress of the. Oh summer. yeah, redundant to say that his put upon. Uh, neglected wife is played by Judy Greer. Greer. Yeah, we get it. Classically in that role. Um, And uh, in order to see his kid more, he needs to kind of return to a life of crime. He uh, is sort of like a Robin Hood burglar. He's not doing any sort of violent crime because this is a PG-13 Marvel movie and he needs to be our hero. Michael Pena is the guy assigning him jobs and Michael Pena is inherently lovable. (laughs) No trigger warnings for Ant-Man. The crimes, no blood. Uh, Perfectly, perfectly fine. Uh, 
he ends up uh, going on a heist uh, to steal what he thinks is a lot of money so he could see his daughter, but it ends up being the Ant-Man suit, and it turns out that Hank Pym, played by Michael Douglas, uh, needs him to stop uh, Darren Cross, played by Corey Stoll. That's Dr. Who, Hank Pym. Yeah, way. that's right. Runs his, uh, I mean. He didn't go to medical school for nothing, you asshole. <laughs> Obviously, you don't know who Hank Pym is, Patches. Wow. But Jesus. Yes. Sorry, he went to S.H.I.E.L.D. medical school. It's like wow. saying, uh, anyway, it's not not important. <laughs> not important for right now. Just focus on the plot of the movie. Darren it's Cross has the yellow it. jacket suit where he's trying to replicate uh, Pym's Pym particle technology which allows people to shrink. Uh, if he does and sells it, he's going to sell it to very dangerous people uh, that will, quote unquote, pacify the entire world. So Hank Pym uh, wants Scott Lang to steal the suit. Um, and he forms a little heist team with his uh, daughter, played by Evangeline Lilly, and eventually Michael Pena, T.I., and David Dasmachian. Man. Well, I forgot. I don't know how to say his last really, name. That was a really heroic effort you just did. Yeah, I, I tried. You'll recognize him uh, when you see him, one of those You'll character recognize actors him from that pops prisoners. up. Bingo. Anyway, um, yeah, but in terms of a Marvel movie... I was also happy that it wasn't as tied in, which I don't think it is. I think, uh, see, here's the thing. I'm more confused that you were happy about that. If anyone was going to be unhappy about that, I thought it would be you. Well, because I enjoyed Avengers Age of Ultron understanding that it was the movie that they thought me, the super fan, was asking for. And in that sense, it played really well for me. And as we discussed in the review episode, I totally understand how like the most comic book movie we saw in terms of continuity didn't work for some people. But this one, it's like there's nothing in it that's actually continuity relevant. There's references, which there have always been in Marvel movies, the Marvel Universe, even before they were obsessed with continuity. So well, there's, there's the, the opening sequence is uh, almost as tied into the mythology as the movie gets, and it starts off on a note that I thought was accessible to anyone who had seen these movies, but probably some fan service as well. And then there's a long and pro- and I would argue completely extraneous uh, detour in the second <laughs> act that is a huge shout out to um, That's in the trailers. The, the wider... Can we talk about that? Oh, is, is it it's in the trailers? Been, it's, uh, it's been in the TV spots even though it was considered oh, a spoiler. Yeah, he yes. goes to the, they, whole, the whole point of it, he goes to New York, upstate New York to the Avengers facility and has a fight with Falcon where it really feels like nobody else is there. It's like like you, it completely breaks the illusion of watching a movie. It's like they cast this one actor who's the only person there um, and it's all just to remind us of this facility and prepare us for its role in future Avengers uh, movies. I oh. yeah. It was also yeah. at the or end Ant- of Avengers Age of Ultron and it serves a purpose to set up what Ant-Man yes. can do. Thank you, Patches. Uh, most primarily it does that. And then like, once again, it's like you want to see... There are better uh, ways of doing that, like ways that are more connected to the actual plot of. That is, I, I agree with yeah, that. No, there is. I this agree is still that. a this is still a project that basically like had triage done to it, like as they were rolling into production. Shit. So it's not like I'm forgiving anything, but I'm acknowledging that stuff like that is going to result that, that in something. That action beat feels more like a comic book than almost anything that's happened in a Marvel movie ever, where you just have an issue where Ant Man shows up and fights Falcon <laughs> for the entire issue, and then you throw that to the side and read the next one. It's yeah, very that's strange. probably true. And I like it, and it gives a I little, liked it you a know, lot too. It, it it's a nice proving uh, himself moment uh, to the the heist team. It's actually who, really funny too. Anthony Mackie yes. can play that yeah. comedy. 
And it, yeah, I really like that after, scene. I don't like, think may, after nothing has happened for a really long time. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I mean, Let's back up here and talk about why this is a good movie. Right, Dave? Dave. Yeah, no, I think it's yes. I don't think it's a good movie oh. like hey, if you want to see like the best superhero movies, throw Ant-Man in your top, you know, like three or five. But I think it's exactly what the Marvel Universe needs, and it's exactly what I need after the summer of goddamn having to know, like, six other movies to understand the plot of the movie I'm watching. Mm -hmm. Ant-Man was like, hey, you know what? No, if you're just, like, pro-Paul Rudd and pro the relationship between a father and daughter, that's all you need to propel yourself through this movie. Okay, so, like, everything you just said, if you had said that to me before I'd seen it, I would have been like, this is the Marvel movie for me. Um, my main two issues with the film are, one, despite the fact that it adopts tropes of the heist genre in, uh, in heist genre in much the same way as Winter Soldier feigned at being a vintage political thriller, it's all, I mean, I make this argument time and time again, uh, Marvel movies are a genre unto themselves, and everything is just window dressing for it being another Marvel origin story. It feels every beat is mercilessly familiar. I already felt like I had seen this movie, and... The other point that hammers that home is that Paul Rudd, who was really who I was counting on and adding something fresh to this, really feels like he's not given enough rope to, to do anything fun. It feels like uh, we all know what Paul Rudd can do. We've talked about this at length in this week's main episode. Um, but it feels like he had was a, maybe afraid to really riff, didn't have a director who was giving him the sort of leeway that David Wayne would. Oh, not that that would necessarily be right for this project. Oh my project, God, David Wayne Marvel movie. That would be great. <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it felt like I was watching a, a neutered Paul Rudd, um, a neutered Paul Rudd who had been going to the gym hard for one shot, but, uh, a neutered <laughs> Paul Rudd all the same. Um, and so other than Michael Pena, none of the humans in this movie really did anything for me. Although Michael Pena gets, I would say at least two of the five best lines that have ever been uttered <laughs> in a Marvel movie. Can you say them without spoiling? I and no, I mean, why would I? <laughs> let let him recite them. Get in this movie. Uh, I I would disagree. I think I enjoyed Ant Man quite a bit because it feels like the Marvel movie with the most character. Um, it's not, you know, it's not Paul Rudd and Adam McKay making Anchorman the action movie or something. It's not Riff a Plenty, but it. I I, I found myself attached to Paul Rudd's very minor quest, very silly kind of not completely formed quest to to connect with his daughter again and what he sees in Michael Douglas, who is struggling with Evangeline Lilly, his daughter. And they spend a lot of time just sitting around a house talking about what they should be and what heroes do and how heroes operate in the specifics of the Ant-Man costume, but also in terms of their own arcs in life. Uh, and and I, I really liked that triumvirate that spent most of the time just kind of like clicking back and forth in this mansion that they're training in. I really liked Evangeline Lilly in this movie. I thought she had a lot of spunk. You weren't frustrated by, because I, okay, so they they speak to this in the movie, and I think in 2015 you have to if you're going to make this decision. Uh, The fact that she is relegated to the background because Hank wants someone expendable. Well, she's not in the job. background. She's just trying. She's being she pushed out of the action. One in the suit. That that explanation never worked for me. I was always like, "You're just trying to justify putting the more capable female character into the background yet again." I'm not buying it. I don't uh, necessarily agree because sequels, she steps up like, to the plate so enough. many times. She's given the opportunity to show that she could be in the suit, um, and she just does it without having to 
shrink down to the size of an ant or literally ride an ant or command ants to build a bridge made of ants or do other weird things with ants, which is the weirdest thing I've ever seen. (laughs) So much so of the like... Though, like David was saying, like the competent woman who has to be there to pull the strings and like make sure everything goes okay. It's something that Black Widow does a lot. And then seeing this just a couple weeks after Jurassic World, I was just like, oh man, another woman with a really severe bob haircut who is going to get charmed by the roguish guy who gets to go out and have all the fun. It's a really irritating and like, wow. It doesn't feel that way at all because she holds so much of her own, especially no, in the I final mean, no, set she piece. She spends all the time being like humorless and like trying not to get seduced by him. And you kind of see them setting up this romance between humorless. Them. I mean, really the whole uh, time. she suffers from tragedy, and they confront that notion. I mean, I really think. Uh, no, I'm Dave, like what, what is on the spoiler table here? Is there anything? Wait, no, Dave, you should cut out what I just said about I referenced an interaction between them, which I realize is probably oh. uh, inevitable, but still a spoiler. I will, I will cut that out because yeah. I'm probably doing. It. I mean, we'll we'll get it. We'll get into spoilers. Well, wait, very too. quickly while I'm cutting things out. What <laughs> is 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 her death? Is the mom's death a spoiler? I don't know, Dave. I don't. I don't think so. Uh, I mean, I, I, well, I think so, right? Because she doesn't, the, she doesn't. I'll just yeah, say it's a I mean, spoiler. It I'll just say it's a spoiler. So I, I do think that Evangeline Lilly, she goes the or the script goes the extra mile to allow her to confront these problems. It's it's not just that her dad's keeping her at bay to keep her out of the action, um, but they have these emotional beats. They spend so much time in this house, really just talking about their relationships, that she has a chance to have this really dramatic, powerful moment, in my opinion, about her mother and the relationship with. Hank Pym and just like this whole mystery that's surrounding it. Um, there's clearly something going on throughout the entire film. And when they when they finally come out with it, I found that moment to be pretty shocking. And eventually, Lily, I've really never seen her in something that's wowed me. But in this movie, I'm like really into it because, frankly, Peyton Reed knows how to shoot actors in like medium close up shots in a really affecting way. I'm not saying he's Edgar Wright when it comes huh. to the action in this movie, but he can stage I, I, I a great afraid, dialogue scene. I was afraid you were going to say no. he knows how to shoot action. No, well, he shoots action the same way he shoots the comedy scenes between all three of them, and I kind of Poorly. appreciate that. What? <laughs> and, okay. I mean, I, I would I, I was thinking about that medium shot thing you're saying. I guess that's basically true. Because, like, that one scene that we're talking about where, you know, like, plot points are revealed, all three of them are really good in it. Yeah. And, I, mean, uh, I think Paul Red is the weak link in that scene. But, well, yeah, yeah he, well, he's coming in with a joke that I'm sure that he wrote. That falls um, flat. Okay, well, I want to talk about the comedy, but I'll let you finish. Uh, but it's, that's, like, the only shining moment for me where I see what Evangeline Lilly's trying to do, whereas it's just another one where Michael Douglas delivers a surprisingly awake performance. Actually, Michael Douglas has a few really flopped moments. Every time he has to mention the Avengers, at some point he talks about, like, Iron Man and Stark, and I'm just like, shut up, you cannot talk about Marvel mumbo jumbo. This is not for you. Well, I mean that—that's that, your baggage. That, that, you're <laughs> knowing his history I was, and being like, wait, he's above this. Which when I is. saw the first uh, no, trailer, no, that's not I, my baggage. It's I'm just like listening to it come out of his mouth, and it just sounds so. It, it's it's not who he is. I don't have no, no attachment to Michael that's Douglas. Ridiculous. I'm just like no, certain ridiculous. people can't talk comic book language. What he's saying is ridiculous, <laughs> listeners. <laughs> He's good. You believe he like had a relationship at one point with John Slattery, who shows up as Howard Stark. Well, he had a relationship uh, with John Slattery. Ooh, uh, that's that'd be great. Uh, CGI de-aged. I thought it was actually pretty effective. Yeah, no, totally better than uh, Tron Legacy, which is well, my bar. 
of you unacceptable de-aging. Unacceptable de-aging. Hey, Fine bro. story. Unacceptable de-aging. <laughs> Lost track of time. Can I, uh, can I start talking about the comedy now? Yes. Okay. Make yeah. me laugh. Basically, okay, so there's a scene late in the movie, and there's a, so like when you, the, what's interesting about this movie is there's basically only one big action sequence. Like there's the fight scene we've been talking about in the middle, and then there's one big moment at the end, which I kind of appreciated. It was a little bit more concise. But there are a lot of comedy beats in the big action sequence at the end, which is such a great idea on paper. And then so many of these moments just don't work and really ought to work in theory. And we can get into spoilers about what actually happens later on. But I just felt there were so many things like in the joke from Paul Rudd I was talking about earlier, just things that like really make sense. Like the, this is Paul Rudd's sense of humor. This is what a Marvel movie is good at. Like comedic action scenes in Marvel movies have worked really well in the past. And Peyton Reed just never seemed to have a grasp on really? how to make them. I was laughing. Sing. Maybe I'm easy. I mean, I lo- like there's some shot. I mean, there's the shot in the trailer of them fighting on the children's train set and you kind of see the train get knocked over in wide shot. And it's funny and that works. And But then there's that scene goes on for a long time and there's a lot of gags like that that don't work. I don't know. I, I think that Paul Rudd having Pena and T.I. is there and uh, David Das Malklin, who played the creepy dude from uh, The Dark Knight. Having those guys as his like team, it's someone compared it to sneakers. I also compared it to sneakers, but then I later saw someone else. Someone, so now I'm afraid. Me, well, I'm going to quote myself. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but like sneakers is a good comparison. It's not uproarious, but the chemistry is there. It's like I'm, I'm. It's cheeky funny. It's mm-hmm funny, and you know what? That's kind of it fun. Doesn't, it doesn't have any more comedy than any other Marvel movie. Yeah. So, but, I, but, I, but it doesn't less don't. than Guardians of the Galaxy. This is so much better than Guardians uh, of the I, Galaxy. Well, okay, the, two completely different films. I mean, they're, they're related well, in the sense that they're most. Yes. Yeah. I th- I'm, I'm just sure. thinking of the most recent Marvel movie that was introducing characters and standing in its own universe, and that was funny and having trying to come up with well, a really distinct perspective that has heroes. an infinity gem the <laughs> I know, explanation Guardians, of all the infinity gems that's, and Thanos. that's exactly th- that's exactly it because you're saying that there's the same amount of comedy in ant-man as all the other uh, avengers or marvel movies except no, ant-man the scale like thor 2 the package is smaller and can actually contain and you know serve this comedy up on a platter you know all the other no, movies I think are the avengers just, is way funnier than ant-man I don't know if I agree. Well, there's a lot of Avengers. You know, there's a lot all, of movie. All I'm saying is don't... Uh, what we talked about this movie being when it was first announced and Edgar Wright was on it was the opportunity for the Marvel Universe to allow directors to put their own, like, shade on characters and situations. Marvel is not interested in doing that and Disney is not interested in doing that. Yeah, so what we have is what David was saying where Marvel's its own genre and we get, like, these little shades to it. This movie, one of its shade, its shades are father daughter, and its shade is heist. Its shade is not comedy. This isn't like the comedy Marvel movie. This isn't like the Howard the Duck movie, if that ever, God forbid, happens. <laughs> yeah, I think that that's what's so enervating for me is that, uh, for whatever reason, and and this happens less and less to me now. Like a, a few years ago, I started missing Marvel movies in theaters and sort of deprioritizing them, and and just caring What's less as we you? went along. Uh, I know, but um, now, you know, it, it really, uh, now more than ever, with the firing of Edgar Wright and then watching the generic movie that came out of it, uh, I am convinced that Marvel just isn't interested in making very good movies. They're interested in making Marvel movies. Uh, which well, they I don't think they're interested forever. in making risky movies, because I feel like we're giving, we're, we're, we're not doing service to what Peyton Reed gets right here. It's not 
you know, the super stylish action that we would have gotten from Edgar Wright. He's definitely fighting an uphill battle here. But I enjoyed the set pieces in this movie. I thought it was uh, elegantly done. It was uh, well-conceived. The powers are really cool. I love when Ant-Man is, like, enlarging and shrinking and enlarging and shrinking. And the way he moves and the motion blur that comes with that, there's just a lot of cool ideas. And where to take him in this building, you know, this whole heist aspect as he's stealing this other yellow jacket armor and he has to you know, outmaneuver, you know, uh, laser beams and he has to shrink and he has to get bigger and punch people and his strength enhances. All of that stuff is really tied together in a neat package. And I think Peyton Reed just services it, which is sounds like a a, a negative. But in this case, I can imagine I'm going to troll everybody so hard right now. I can imagine Edgar Wright over stylizing this movie to a point where I don't enjoy it as much, where I can't identify all the moving parts there are moments in scott pilgrim that i feel this way about scott pilgrim gets so much right it is amazing um but definitely that's the way i felt about um world's end just like so much craziness going on and flip whip panning and and zipping and zooing and all sorts of craziness edgar wright could shoot the shit out of this movie but i don't know if i'd enjoy it as much because Peyton Reed just has a, a tempered sensibility. He has to because of Marvel, but it serves this movie. I enjoyed that. I mean, ultimately, that's what you're going to see out of uh, the future Marvel movies. Like, the Rousseau brothers are hired because they're uh, stylists, uh, but only within the parameters you They give just them. have more money. I don't think they're better directors than Peyton Reed. They just have a lot more money to play with and a lot more things to blow up. Well, yeah, but like they gave it to the Rousseau brothers because you could give the Rousseau brothers like a different episode of Community every week and they'll shoot it to vaguely look like that but still be Community. That's the same thing that's going to happen with the MCU. And I don't think Peyton Reed has a problem with that part of it. I'm really just talking about like getting the rhythm of the story that they're trying to tell right. And it's something, I mean, I'll dive into it. We can get into spoilers. I don't think the visual style is a problem. And I might agree with you, Patches, that Edgar Wright's stylishness could have been a problem given all the things that this movie is trying to do. But it's the, uh, it's the tone and it's the sense of momentum that I think Ant-Man is lacking. Mm. It's got a weird momentum. I'll give you that. But I, like I don't mind of- that nothing really ha- – I don't mind it's building up into one big final act thing and then that's it. Like that I think is really worthwhile. But it's what happens in getting there and what it thinks is entertaining versus what's actually entertaining that is a gap for me. And it causes an up and down because it's also a movie that has like four montages. So at yeah. some point, you know, well, but the you, ones that Michael Pena narrates are all great. So keep right, going. and then they oh, basically, yeah, yeah they figure out how to use those really well. But like when you have like this narrative speed up of montage, or, or then but you have to slow down for two people to have like a ten minute conversation, and you do that yeah. a couple of times. It's like at one point she's like, "We only have a few days to get this guy ready." There's no way, and then there's a training montage, and I'm like. That's a few days. It feels like you guys had like a week or a well, week in and a half. Well, in time, already. it's like three months. Well, I mean, and ultimately, you're not supposed to care in a movie because the momentum's supposed to take you through that. But it's because it has like this stop-start momentum uh, narratively, basically all the way through. It, uh, it worked fine for me, but I could see Katie where it's like disarming if they're not completely on board. But we have to give the movie a little props for its, its visual prowess. Right. I mean, I enjoyed all the, um, the macro photography when he's shrinking it. I mean, they actually shot these things in close up when he's like dancing around the drain or there's this great scene where he put on the suit for the first time and he slides into a vent and he comes out into a nightclub and he's outmaneuvering stiletto heels. All this kind of stuff is shot 
I think most of it is real that they shot with with small photography, and that looks really cool. It just feels so different than everything from the Marvel movies. It feels really different than all the action movies we see all summer. Just a different perspective, having a different type of hero. Ant-Man really is unlike anyone else that we see leading an action movie these days. That's That was quite refreshing. It's also so nice to have uh, one bad guy without an army. Yeah, I mean, it's like, yes. I, I didn't think I would a cool feel fun. that, like, well, because like 2008, I was like, come on, Iron Man, just one bad guy in a super suit. But now I'm like, oh, my God, thank you. Just one bad guy in a super suit. Well, and Iron so, Man's one bad guy in a super suit fight was really boring, too. Yes, this one. This movie is not, better than the original Iron Man. <laughs> I don't I don't I don't really don't make me like, choose my babies Patrick. I don't really like the original Iron Man I mean Iron Man 2 is atrocious but the original Iron Man step in the right direction for sure much prefer um, Ant-Man and I much the- prefer the craziness at the end of Ant-Man which we should just leave yeah off I want to jump into spoilers and talk about oh, okay we'll sound Ant-Man the gong Are we ready very quickly Okay, so the scene I keep referring to that I wanted to talk about in detail is when they're in the lunchbox or in the briefcase and the uh, phone starts playing a song and they're fighting to that. It should be really funny and it's really not. I thought it was hysterical. Oh, yeah, that played really well in my eyes. Yeah, we oh, all laughed. Yeah, that's, it didn't play well for me at all. Well, uh, it's an okay moment. I liked it because I was like, oh, this is really a window into the, the pettiness of my brain. I was like, oh, I- I like that song. I could probably use it in one of my year-end things. You are uh, awful. <laughs> <laughs> um, David just disappeared. So during Trainwreck, you're, you're knocking the movie because there's not enough hockey. And during this movie, your mind is wandering towards <laughs> your future. I'm Jeff time. Wells, okay? I'm able to like try and make some semblance of objectivity <laughs> here. But, uh, that fight scene is really cool, on. though. No, it isn't. But that moment is cool, and not just because of the song. It's a cool moment because it takes advantage you don't like of the various all the shrinking of their and song, that helicopter. But... Scene. Is that the helicopter moment? Yeah, I yeah. like yeah. I like the helicopter stuff before. And I just thought that one beat, like, maybe I just I couldn't tell what she said when the song was coming on. There was something about that that really didn't gel for me. But see, so that... by then my audience was already kind of out of it. Yeah, he's bouncing around the helicopter. The the song's playing. That's really funny. They fall out of the helicopter and they land in the pool full size, which I think is really funny. The family standing there and yeah, their reaction, and then throwing Black him family. into the the uh, fly trap thing. What's it called? Buzzer. Yeah, with the with the ping pong. Funny. Battle. Funny. I enjoyed yeah. this movie much more than other people. I, I know that. Uh, and I really dug. I thought about David during this movie because I'm like, this movie is so weird. I just enjoy all like I can't believe he's riding oh ants. God. And I can't the believe the worst pet peeve in the world. No, I know I, I, when people call Marvel movies weird, like, oh, look. Uh, how how did this movie Guardians of the Galaxy with the talking tree voiced by Well, Vince see, Eagle, I didn't think that, that was, was that weird. Million dollars. It's like it's that's uh, that was well, so exacting. I don't find Guardians of the Galaxy to be that weird. I think it this was movie to make people go, weird. "Oh my god, it's so weird," and yet still as broadly accessible as anything. You else don't think since we're in the spoiler section, you don't think that shrinking down to quantum level all the talk of quantum level is just like just like the end of guardians of the galaxy that's exactly what happened at the end of guardians the same thing as inception i mean it's like the the, it's inception with worse graphics or interstellar it's not inception at all i don't understand your compare i've seen you compare this to inception movie that is about a layer 
uh, ultimately about a layer deeper than it's not about layers. Go, it's about shrinking. It's two different and things. Space works differently. Uh, you're talking about semantics. No, here. you I'm are about the actual. No, it's very much I'm, like Inception. It's nothing uh, like it. Uh, it it's very much like Inception, uh, and it's uh, more it's like Interstellar. If the anything, thing are the ants, sort of like but the ants are weird. So we we the uh, agree there. The ants are always weird. Uh, you know, even though the character is called Ant Man, as someone with no familiarity with the character, when I went to the movie and I was like, oh shit, there are a lot of ants in this movie. <laughs> like there's ants everywhere. Uh, I was still not entirely ready for that. Um, and he has his Anthony, his flying wing friend. It's so um, come on, that, that is was, what. Look, a talking tree it, is it not weird enough, unless you make it. Between weird. them, again, the relationship between he and Anthony is identical to the relationship between the hero and his steed, and all these other movies. The joke is that it's an ant, but it's one joke. Funny. It's not weird. It's a it's a riff on a very familiar thing. And then that ant just gets kind of offed. I know right. it's sad. Oh well, <laughs> Ant Man. Uh, I liked it. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm not a huge fan but you know if you see Marvel movies it's better than Thor 2 had a lot of fun you should too uh, don't see minions let me tell you the story of a tiny man fighting crime the best he can good old Hank Pym was a scientist Research and checking stuff off his list. He cooked up a powerful new gas. And when the smoke and noise had passed, he woke up shrunken on the floor. He knew he was now something more. He was the Ant Man. He's the incredible Ant Man. He shrinks to now, the funniest movie of the week is not Ant-Man or Trainwreck, but Joshua Oppenheimer's The Look of Silence. Uh, no, I jest. The Look of Silence is the follow-up film to Joshua Oppenheimer's The Act of Killing, which I trust most people listening to the show will remember uh, from 2012-2013, uh, which was his rather staggering documentary about the Indonesian genocide, in which he got the... Uh, which is really the only genocide at least in my memory, uh, if not on record, where the perpetrators are still in power and he got these very boastful You're forgetting people. about Comic-Con. Whoa! Um, exactly, no. I thought Jesse Eisenberg, he took a very special place in my heart this week. Um, but uh, he, he got these very boastful mass murderers to talk about what had happened to recreate what had happened uh, and really expose sort of the psychic wounds that not only that, that stem from Indonesia's past, but are very much in play in the present. And it was an incredible film. Uh, and uh, what's really astonishing about it more than anything else is that it was kind of just a warm up act. Uh, the Look of Silence, which is his new film, and is a lot less flamboyant than Act of, act of Silence. It's a little bit more grounded and, and sober. Um, than the act of killing, rather. It's a little bit more grounded and sober, uh, and it would not have been possible to make if not for the inroads that were made by making the act of killing, the connections they made. They had a very li limited window between the time where they had access to certain people and before the act of killing actually came out and was screened in Indonesia, and uh, people uh, would have killed them, I imagine, or would have chased them out of the country. Um, and they made the, the best of it. Uh, Joshua Oppenheimer directing solely this time, uh, works with a guy named Adi, who was paramount behind the scenes in the act of killing, and is an optometrist in Indonesia, and uh, whose brother uh, was a very emblematic 
victim of the genocide and whose family is intertwined with what happened in ways that are probably not dissimilar from the way that a lot of Indonesian families are. Um, and he goes around the country talking to uh, or seeing patients, testing their vision. And as he tests their vision, anyone who's over the age of 60 or so, he begins to interrogate about what they remember about the genocide in 1965 and 66. Uh, and, you know, the, the, this is a classic literary device that you see in things like Slaughterhouse-Five and things like that where they use optometry um, as a metaphor for vision, uh, both into the past and the future. But what he, as he pushes these people to talk uh, while he adjusts their vision, clarifies their vision, um, it leads to confrontations that feel more intimate and haunted and uh, ongoing than the act of killing. And the act of killing is an, is an incredible film, uh, but it really does feel like it uh, was made just to make this film possible. Um, its, its achievement, I think, is less obvious and in your face than the act of killing, but I think it's a better movie. I think it's one of the best documentaries I've ever seen. Um, and I, I think it's only opening in New York and maybe LA this weekend, but, uh, it'll get there. It'll, it'll get there. I mean, act of killing wound up on every platform. I think it's, is it also a draft house release act of killing? It is a draft house. Okay. So it'll be on Amazon one day. Yeah. And, um, unless it's not eligible, I would put a significant amount of money on it being nominated for best documentary and probably winning. But David doesn't care Um, about awards, everybody. Let's just be clear about that. But I mention that only as a matter of uh, logistics because it will guarantee a certain amount of exposure. Uh, so you will be able to see this movie, The Look of Silence. Uh, see it! In the not too distant future. But yeah, goddamn, go see it. Oh. Am I the only one of us who's seen it? Yeah. 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 Oh, wow. One day we'll have I live in Denver, David. <laughs> Denver. <laughs> Denver. The ire of the Midwest comes for Go, David again. We, uh, the reason I made a Minions joke is because that's that just hit us like a goddamn bomb. The Minions? Uh, well, like it took a week of the movie actually being open for, for it to be everywhere, but now it's everywhere. Oh my God, it's spreading. Yeah. I've been infected. Hey, Patches, what was this week's lightning round question? Yes, it was in honor of Mr. Holmes, another movie coming out this week, directed by Bill Condon. About Sherlock Holmes, being old. Psyched, psyched for that. Um, what what character would you like to see uh, in an older age? Uh, David, you go first. <laughs> I don't know. Did uh, Dave come up with one of his own? He wasn't here on the original. Oh, episode, yeah. So yes. Sorry, yes, should, Dave, uh, you go first. To, I do get to come up with one of my own, which is good because I have one. <clears throat> I want a sequel to Who Framed Roger Rabbit about old Eddie Valiant investigating something similar to the Charles Manson murders, but it's somehow a like movie about 2D to 3D animation conversion. So you would Thank be you. comfortable with recasting that part for the movie? Yeah. Yeah. Who would you cast? Old Eddie Valiant. God, I don't, I don't know. you on the spot. No, that's not my problem. Yeah. Look, I just gave you the whole plot to the movie. You figure out the casting. You don't package something here without a cast. Jesus. Yeah. What? I went to screenwriting school. That's what, exactly what I did. Hour? Come on. <laughs> uh, all right, David. Well, I, I am very impressed with our listeners this week. I thought we got a lot of really funny responses. Um, I will go with Mario Allegre, who says, Dirk Diggler, I bet he would be a big, bright vine star. <laughs> 
I think he might be too old if he had aged from the 70s to now to be a Vine star. But if Dirk Diggler were now, like, 19. I don't know. I think a guy, an old guy with a giant dick would do pretty well on I starred in a lot of pornos back in the day. <laughs> uh, Patches, what's your pick? I'm going to go with that Jesse Carp who said Cole Seer. And boy, is he over the whole seeing dead people thing. I'm not sure why, but uh, from the sixth sense, I should clarify. And, uh... Haley Joel Osment's around. He could do it. It reminds me, actually, didn't, Dave, you would know the answer to this. Didn't Stephen King do something similar to this? Oh, wait. Yes, I know. The Shining. Uh, he, the, the kid from to the, the Shining, Shining grew up. And he wrote a book about the kid from The Shining as an older kid, like, tormented by having the shinin. You mean this the week shinin. you didn't bring up Ghosts at a Watchman <laughs> in that particular spot? No, a different book. That has nothing to no, do no, with I'm- The Shining. What? No, um, but it's a sequel with an aged up... Never mind. That's someone, true, but in this case, I'm specifically referencing a supernatural phenomenon. What? Oh, fair enough. Someone answered Atticus Finch. I, I, I mean, don't you think they'll make a Ghost at a Watchmen movie? Well, no. maybe not. Uh, people, nope. It's not been nope. going... I guess it hasn't been going over very well. well people are, are so, like, morally conflicted about even reading I don't get that at all. I mean, I, really? I have not read the book yet, but I don't get... The, the moral conflict being about taking the book from her and publishing it, or the moral conflict in Atticus Finch even, being racist now? No, but yeah, about what... Hey, this should be an published. episode at some point, everybody. <laughs> it should be, but it won't be. Um, oh, come on. I, no, I bought it. I'm going to read it. I'm morally conflicted with, with taking the book from her, but I'm yeah, not morally what, conflicted with this kind about. of like alt-universe. She wrote it before Kill a Mockingbird, so of course everyone's different and like Atticus first- is racist. It's a first draft, and it probably should never have been published. I also saw people tweeting passages from Ghost of the Watchmen that are identical to To Kill a Mockingbird, which I think is very weird. Weird in the Marvel kind of way, you know? Oh, it's cool. We're going to (laughs) crucify this lawyer lady on the cross of public opinion over the next few months, and uh, we'll be okay. Uh, Okay, uh, I'm going to give my answer, and then we're going to get out of here. Yes, do it. A late-breaking answer from Jeremy Flowers, who says, Lewin Davis! I'd be so into that. I want to see him like in the East Village in the nineties, like on St. Mark's being grouchy and still doing the same. Is that what you think happened to all those people? What do you mean? Do you think that they roam the East Village or those the homeless people of East Village argued? No, I didn't think he was like homeless. I just thought he'd be like still like, you know, grouchy and living in downtown Manhattan somewhere, still not having made it and like cursing at NYU kids on his way to the coffee shop. Yeah, he'd probably be teaching now. Yeah. I'd hope he'd still be uh, you know, losing cats. <laughs> anyway, that does it for this week's Writing in the War Room. We'll be back next week talking about more movies. Summer movie season rolls on. In the meantime, tell the people who you are. I am Matt Patches. I'm the senior writer at Esquire.com, and I'm on Twitter at Mr. Patches. I'm David Ehrlich. I'm the associate film editor of Time in New York and the editor-at-large of Little White Lies. You can find me on Twitter at David Ehrlich. I'm Dave Gonzalez. You can find me on Twitter at DA7E and writing at geek.com, latino-review.com, and forbes.com. And I'm Katie Rich. You can find me at vanityfair.com and on Twitter at Katie Rich. You know how to spell it. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back talking to you next week. <laughs>